0: So, if you don't know me, my, my, my name is Matt. I have the privilege of being a pastor in Brisbane in a church called, uh, the, yeah, the inaugural Baptist Church. It's very, uh, a very creative name. There's not too many like it. Um, my, uh, my other joy in life is to be husband to Elise, and we have three daughters aged now eight, five, and two, which makes me, um, yeah, deeply concerned for the next decade. Uh, and yet also filled, filled with joy. They couldn't make it today. Um, the idea of the amount of driving that we were going to do today and, and having my family in that car would have looked a lot like reliving Genesis chapter 3. So um, we chose not to do that. Instead, uh, Jared has come along with me as well. He's a, he's a good friend from church, and he was keen to come and get into the country because we share a hatred of the city. So... Um, now, t- today, they, they, let, they gave me free reign to kind of preach what I want. to. No know Sam's away, and, and while the team is still here to, to keep, me, keep me in check, there is a certain amount of while the cat is away, isn't there, that's going to go on. Um, and so, in our congregation, we've spent most of the last 12 months, a little bit more than the last 12 months, making our way through the book of Romans. Um, and I thought, well, what a, what a wonderful opportunity to share the, the enormous blessing that that has been to, to our fellowship here as well. So, we're going to be in Romans chapter 3. Um, this passage is significant uh, in in the entirety of the Bible. It, it is significant. Um, do, you, do you remember these things? They used to have them. We used to do it a lot, but not so much these days. Called cinemas. Do you remember? Do you remember those? But before the calamity, it was a thing that people used to do, uh, and now not so much. I can't remember the last time I went to the movies, and I also can't remember the last time I enjoyed a new movie. But we used to go to these things called cinemas. Uh, And there's a a thing that happens at the movies, is that you go inside into the kind of this this insulated chamber, right? You go into this kind of, it's like a hermetically sealed, it's like you might as well be in space in a spaceship. The outside world doesn't matter, they darken it, uh, it's dim, and you sit there, and you sit there for a long time. uh, Especially if the movie that you're watching has been made by that Peter Jackson bloke, right? He can't keep it under three hours, I don't think he's genetically capable. Um, And then when you leave, there's this moment that sort of happens every time, isn't there? which is when you you walk out of the cinema and into the car park and it's the middle of the day. And the contrast between the the dark and the quiet and the isolation and the big, bright, open world just couldn't be greater. Do you you know that moment that I'm talking about where even though it's the middle of the day, it feels like you've got your night visions happening and the the sun is bleaching your face and um, it's kind of like painful good. That is a little bit like what reading this portion of God's Word is like. Um, It is my belief that in Romans chapter 3 the darkest and i mean the spiritually darkest portion of god's word sits directly next to the brightest light of hope found in the gospel and these these this darkness and this light they follow sequentially it's it's darkness followed by light and by sitting so close together i think what this chapter of the bible does is gives us a taste and i think that we often take for granted but a taste of the enormity of grace. Uh, and that's what we're going to be looking at today. So, we'll be, we'll be picking up the story in, in verse 19, um, but before we get there, here's a little bit of context about what's been happening in the book of Romans thus far. For three long chapters, two and a half long chapters, the Apostle Paul has been opening up to the readers of the letter of Romans the great problem of sin. The great problem of sin... It's, it's the longest sustained treatment of the problem of sin that you will find in, in the Bible. For three long chapters, any reader, any hearer, anyone who's, who's read these, these chapters of God's Word has had to sit there and stare directly into the face of our greatest dilemma. That's the saying, isn't it? That the night is darkest before the dawn. We'll end with the dawn, but before we get there, we have this great darkness... Just like a surgeon has to cut before he can heal, just like a gardener prunes in order to bring fruitfulness, today, as we read this portion of the Word of our Lord, God is going to fight for your joy and for your salvation by first wounding you. The claims made in the first two chapters of this book, there's been two big ones thus far. The first is this that the world, the entire world, is sinful. And the second big claim is this, that even Israel, God's chosen people, are sinful. And so, the world and even Israel now sit under the dilemma of the problem of their sinful rebellion against the holy God of all creation. Along the way, we have learned that deflections of this problem are of no, no use to you. The, the problem of sin, the problem of your sin before a holy God is not going to go away if you could just argue well enough. You're not going to be able to convince God that the problem really is just smaller than He says it is, and He's been exaggerating, He just needs to calm down. That's not the solution to the problem of sin. The, the, the problem of sin is not going to be found in your comparing yourself with other people's sin. The Jews were not able to point at the sins of the Gentiles and say, we're better than them. Doesn't that make us righteous? No. Our righteousness is not found by our sinning to a lesser degree than another sinner. That's ridiculous. We aren't going to be able to blame shift. We aren't going to be able to evade. The solution to the problem of sin is not going away. The whole world is in rebellion against the God who made that And judgment is coming. Justice is coming. The God who knows all things, the God who will by no means tolerate wickedness is coming. In this passage, we bring these threads together and come to the most important of conclusions. We'll start reading at verse 9. What then? Are we Jews, says Paul the Jew, any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. He's he's, he's quoting the Psalms at this point, by the way. This is the Old Testament. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Don't we believe that every time we turn on the news at the moment? In their paths a ruin, and misery, and the way of peace they have not known, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Do you feel the significance of these claims? He's talking about you, and He is talking about me. Apart from our being rescued, we are in a terrible dilemma. This is your very greatest need, your most significant problem, more important than the breakfast that you ate this morning. Let's put down all this talk of Jew and Gentiles. This is a human problem. All have sinned. And because it's a human problem, it is very personal. This portion of God's Word is describing me, Matthew Maloney. And it is describing you. Without God's help, This is who I am before him. If no one is righteous, I am not righteous. Do you feel it? If no one understands, I do not understand under the power of my own steam. If all have turned aside, then I have turned aside, and together with all others, I have become worthless. If no one does good, I don't do good, not on my own. I, I am full of curses and bitterness. My feet are swift to shed blood. I leave... Ruin and misery in my wake. Oh, how true it is. Let me just reflect back on my life for a moment and (laughs) draw to mind the unpleasant memory of how many times I have wounded and wronged others. Not only do I do this on purpose, I do it when I'm not paying attention. Sometimes I do this simply because it is a part of my nature to do so. Humans, people, made in His image. I have treated with the contempt that my sinful nature has for God Himself. That is not an illustration, that is a truth. Brothers and sisters, in my life I have slandered I have been slow to reconcile. I have used people as a stepping stone in order to obtain my desires. Have you ever caught yourself doing that? I have delighted in things that my God calls an abomination, and I do so until this day. I have ignored him. I have tried to fit him around my life and call that faith, I've taken him for granted. I have treated as a worthless thing the blood of his son poured out for me. Rather than fitting my life around him with his rightful place at the center where he belongs. I am not righteous. I am sinful, just like you. And I'm very slow to believe this. (laughs) It's cheery, isn't it, visiting preachers? They, uh, maybe uh get chased out of town by the end of this, I think. The, the, the famous preacher C.H. Spurgeon once said this. He said, if any man thinks ill of you, do not be angry with him, for you are worse than he thinks you to be. <laughs> isn't that encouraging? When, when, we, when we sit for as long as we just did and stare at these difficult truths, I mean, it's a hard sell, isn't it? That's... Why would anyone approach this Christianity business? Aren't we a Dow bunch? Do, don't you don't you feel your ego being provoked at these things, even as we believe them? I do. There's these hidden stores of self-righteousness that we don't even know that we have until we encounter this portion of God's Word, and then suddenly it rises up within us and begins to object. Somewhere in the back of my mind, or perhaps it's my heart, there is a voice saying, hang on, It's, it's, it's blustering, it's upset, it's offended, I do nice things all the time, don't tell me that no one does good. I am kind, I often live selflessly... I provide for my children, I pay my bills. It's getting harder to do. I feed the neighbor's cat, even though it's a cat. I actually like cats. I'm one of those. I serve at church. I'm generous when the offering comes around. I pray. I'm devout. You're telling me that no one is righteous. Am I not righteous? God's Word, leaves us with no other possible view. We must reject the modern view that people are basically good, and sometimes we make mistakes. It's not a mistake, it's your nature. Evil, the evil in your life, does not come from the periphery of who you are. People are basically sinful, even though we are sometimes kind. That's the biblical view of me. There are, there are, here's a helpful description. There are two very different concepts in the world of theology that sound similar, but are quite different. Both of these deal with the nature of human sinfulness. One idea is called utter depravity. It's cheerful sounding, isn't it? and the other is called total depravity. Utter depravity would describe sinfulness as meaning that we as humans are always at our worst, always as sinful as we could possibly be. Virtually no one believes this. This is a, this is a straw man. This is, this is a common, uh, well, a, 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 an easy misunderstanding of what total depravity is. No, total depravity is the belief That while we are not always as bad as we could be, we are never as good as we should be. We are never as good as we should be. Total depravity is the idea that every part of you, every part, has been stained and corrupted by sin. So that you are never, at any moment in time, completely free of its influence. People can be kind. People can be kind. You've experienced kindness, haven't you? Someone has treated you nicely at some point in your life. I'm so sorry if you're the one who hasn't. People can be kind, but even our kindness is stained with the presence of a sinful motive. The prophet Isaiah said it this way, our greatest deeds are like filthy rags, used menstrual cloth to be more specific. even in feeding your neighbor's cat, the stain of sin is present. You are irritated to be asked, perhaps. You are seeking to get their approval, and so validate yourself separately from the judgment of your God. If the neighbor asks too many times, if they don't adequately thank you enough upon returning, if, 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 our sinful nature will display itself eventually. It's there, even in the little things. It is there in total, to the extent that God can say, no one is righteous. No, not one. Unless goodness is an act of faith, it is an act of self-righteousness. And it is all too unsurprising when we find, even in our generosity, a selfish motive. What this means is that feeding that cat is not going to reconcile you to God. Being here in church this morning didn't save you. Serving on that roster does not cleanse you of iniquity. Providing for your children is not the road to heaven. The stain is too complete. We need a bigger solution to that bigger problem. Long comes the law of Moses to clarify this for us. How hopeless is the human condition without a rescuer? Romans 3.19 says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So that Every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. God has revealed his will for us, brothers and sisters. And not a one of us was satisfied with it. That's it. It's darkest darkness. The hardest part of God's Word. The whole world. The whole world. Yeah, but what about those who've never heard? The whole world. What about my grandma who was really nice, but the whole world. will be held accountable to God. By works of the law, no human being will be justified. Through the law. The law, God's own, God's own law, has never had any other effect but to condemn those who hear it. That is the single saddest truth of reality. And you can be offended by it. And you can find it distasteful. And it's not going away. This is your greatest need. This is, this is, what it, this is pitch black. This, pitch, the name given to the absolute absence of light. Pitch black. This is the darkest darkness possible. No human being will be justified in his sight through the law. There's nothing you can do. What we have just read in God's Word is the pronouncement of God's just condemnation of all people, everywhere, forever. If heaven was empty, God would have committed no wrong. We don't deserve it. God's law is clear. It describes and it defines righteousness. It tells us of God's own holiness and His perfection. It tells us of His created order given to us for our benefit and His glory. And all of the people who have ever lived anywhere ever, be they Jew or Gentile or slave or free or male or female or tall or short or rich or poor, all of us. That glorious, moral, stable law has only ever had one effect. Never once. Never once has it shown one of us to be righteous. Christ is unique. We are not like Him. Never once has God's law revealed a heart filled to perfection with worship for the one who gave us life. No one stands before God's law and holds their head up high and says, What a good boy am I? All for short. All. Of the countless billions who have ever lived, all for short. The law has only ever revealed our sin. It saves no one. We are incapable of pleasing God. It's a tragedy. There is, there, is a, there is no appeal to fairness with the God of heaven. You can't stand before Him and demand what you deserve. Please, never, ever, ever, ever ask God to give you what you deserve. You don't want it. You do not want that. Fairness demands your destruction. The question isn't, why does God punish? We love that question. I get asked that question all the time why why does god judge me for what i why does god have opinions about what we do in the privacy of our own homes why why does god have the right to punish that's not the biblical question the biblical question is why does god allow any of us to continue existing this world isn't right The whole of creation exists in a constant state of rebellion against the Lord Most High, our Creator and our Sustainer. And it's not like offending one of your mates. We're not His equals. He is, he is as high above us as the solar system is above a single-cell organism. That that difference is not great enough to describe how much more important God is than than you, and you and I, we have rebelled against Him. The question isn't, why why does He punish? It's, why does He allow any of us to continue? What an insult to His grace and His holiness. Why does He allow us to go on? Sin after sin. Day after day, iniquity after iniquity, corruption after corruption, bribe after bribe, war after war, theft after theft, this world and its rebellion against him needs to end. We are on the wrong side of that. Our existence, your existence, your life this morning is a cosmic injustice. You don't deserve to be breathing. Blackest black. Darkest darkness. Our condemnation is just. My condemnation is just. Surely I was sinful at birth, says David. Sinful from the moment my mother conceived me. Sinful in the womb. And then, the first rays of light appear, the dawn of hope, impossible light in a world of darkness. At first, it's one word, but. How can there be a but after that judgment? And yet, there it is. But what could it be? Do we dare hope? And another word follows it. But now. Now what? It is my soul's greatest need to know the answer to that question. Now what? And then more and more, the sun of grace dawns over the furthest horizon and it begins to shine on us with a radiant intensity. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God, which is through faith in Jesus Christ and is for all who believe, For there is no distinction. How precious are those words. I am not reconciled to God through my obedience. I'm not reconciled to God through a law. I'm so glad to hear this. I couldn't do that anyway. Throw that in the bin and be rid of it. Abandon here all attempts to deserve God's kindness. I am not righteous, the law declares me unrighteous, but God's own righteousness has been manifested and it can be mine. It's been revealed, it has been seen to be active. Can I have that please? Can I be found in Him and hide within His righteousness and goodness? Can God be for me what I am not? And the answer is yes. Yes, he can. How do I get that? I get it apart from the law. Okay, what else? How do I get that righteousness of God? I need it. You get it through faith in Jesus Christ. There is no other name. It's found in his finished work at the cross on your behalf and in his resurrection life beyond. Who can get that life? All who believe, all have sinned and fall short of His glory, but His righteousness is for all who believe. Now says the other voice, but I don't deserve it. Correct. It is through faith in Christ for all who believe. Could that possibly be true? Could that hope really exist in a world like this? The dawn of hope grows brighter. It is the rebirth of redemption. It is a new day. The night has passed. Come to me, says our Lord, all you who are weary, all who, oh, sorry, all you who labor and are heavy-burdened and I will give you rest. I need His rest. Thank God it exists. There is only one right response to this, brothers and sisters. If you came here dirty, leave here clean by the grace of God today. It's for all who believe. That There are two kinds of people in this room today. There's only ever two kinds of people. The first kind are those who have never received this kind of grace. You know nothing of what it means to be reconciled to God through His Son, Jesus. It is yet to be your experience. And category two is those who have experienced what it means to be reconciled to God through grace, by faith in Jesus. If you are here today and you are of the first kind, you have... You have never, ever experienced this kind of loving mercy. This is what God says to you today. Admit your need to Him. Abandon self-righteous attempts to gain His favor, and instead ask Him to give you Christ's victory over your sin at the cross. You can today believe that Jesus is the all-sufficient sacrifice for sin. And you can turn to the God who made you even now and say, Lord, make him my savior and make me your worshiper. And if you turn to God and do that right now, I promise you he will. I can do that because he promises you he will bunch of other stuff that's going to take place in your life, spiritually. And this is And The rest of the book of Romans is pretty exciting. It's about that sort of stuff. You're going to be filled with the Spirit. You're going to be made new. You're going to be given a new hope and a new life and a new eternity. And most importantly, that's the one that you need to know, you will be reconciled to God, even though you are sinful beyond belief. You can leave here today as a child of God. He will adopt you. He will bring you into his family. He will be your father, this God whom you have offended now and forever. Look, if, if, if that is you and you, you are here today, I know that um, the, the good people of this church want, want to hear what you have to say. And I know that if any, you've seen any of the, the elders up here on stage leading us in worship and praying, and the friend who brought you, there is someone here who wants to hear this from you. This is, a, this is the kind of church where people want to help you in the journey of faith. But it begins quite simply. By talking to God, even now, and telling Him, Yes, I surrender. Give me Jesus. I need Him. For the rest of us, the ones who have already heard this message and have already believed this message, to some degree, this part of God's Word has been a confusing experience for us thus far. You've heard it said that no one is righteous and that no one seeks God, and you have been thinking with some amount of credibility, but I do. I I used to be like that, You're, you're correct, but now I have been reconciled. Now I love Him from my being up, not perfectly, but I do. You're right, of course. In, in reading this passage, we have been reliving the process by which we were first reconciled to Him. But it is a good thing to do. You and I, as God's children, we need to revisit this good gospel so very often. We need not to be saved again. But we get distracted, don't we? We, we grow complacent, we, we fall into periods of, of doubt. After we gain Jesus as our Saviour, this principle of grace doesn't become a thing which we remember as having existed in the past, it becomes the, the bedrock of our whole lives. It becomes the air that we breathe. We don't move on from the Gospel. We live here, we stand here, and we remain here forever. And we come back here again and again, day after day, to drink from the waters of grace. Brothers and sisters, have you, have you drifted? Have you forgotten? Have you foolishly tried to take some small part of your life and hold it away from the one who has rescued you? And hold it by yourself and remain in control of it apart from His Lordship? Do you find that just this week you were trying to solve your problems by worrying about them? And you have failed to pray to our merciful God that you would experience His rescue. Are you unable to trust your brothers and sisters in the church because of past hurts to which you are resisting reconciliation? You find yourself living in bitterness. Are you isolated and alone, even here today, with so many around you? Because you are hiding, ashamed of what you have done. We just... Our wrestle with sin, we're, we're silly things. We we know that we sin every day. So often we think, well, the little ones don't count. I can ignore those. Of course, Jesus can forgive it when I tell a white lie to the neighbors. Kick the cat. But every now and then one gets through, doesn't it? You surprise yourself by sinning spectacularly. And the excuses aren't so easy. Jesus has grace for you on that day. God hasn't forgotten you. God hasn't abandoned you. His grace has not been exhausted for you. And so come, come again. Come and experience it afresh. Like the father ran to embrace the prodigal son even before he'd gotten through the fence. The God of heaven is even now stooping to bless you. He has come down from on high and made himself known. And he has drawn you near. And he will minister to you in meekness and gentleness and grace. So come. You have not been abandoned. The God of heaven is rushing even now towards you to reconcile. And to clothe you in the finest of garments. The righteousness of Christ himself. Come. Let's pray. Come home, our Lord and our God. We tremble at your holiness today. We stand before you <laughs> naked and ashamed that sin clings to us so closely and comes so freely that there is some perverted part of our heart which is determined to insult you when you have done nothing but bless us. Were it not for your mercy, we could not stand in the day of judgment and we would have no place in your assembly. And we thank you. We thank you for the blood of Christ, which in this moment now appears as precious as it should. There is no other name, and we need no other name. We thank you. We thank you that our Savior lived a life that I could not live. That he alone has fulfilled your law. That when he died it was in my place and for my sin. You have loved me and given yourself for me. Thank you. Rescue us again and afresh. Open my eyes to see how how light a thing I have treated such an amazing grace. Show me the true condition of my heart before you that I may lay it down and be healed and made new. Fill my heart with longing for my true home and with longing to be the kind of person that you are designing me to be. To be near to you and dear to you and like you. Have your way in us, O oh Lord and God. Remove from us any falsehood, any any hidden sin, any willful sin. And we pray your forgiveness. Not because we are worthy, not because we are deserving, not because we have softened you up with our generosity of Christ he is enough he is enough look on him and pardon me father he was cast out may I never be removed from your presence grant to me the willing spirit he has won for me and sent to me and sealed me with Jesus, you are both Lord and God, and it is in your name we pray.